Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Good morning. Indeed, today is the day. This is the day the Lord has made. We are rejoicing. We are glad in it, even though there is uh, there are challenges ahead of each one of us today. Maybe you have already faced a challenge this morning. Maybe you have uh, already faced someone uh, in whose spirit there was <clears throat> angst or meanness. I don't know. You know, it doesn't take very long to be uh, to be up and at them in the world and uh, and confront, you know, people who are just sideways. And so maybe you uh, got up today and you got up on the right side of the bed and you got in the word before you got out there into the world. And then you encountered somebody who literally got up on the wrong side of the bed. And so let me just encourage you that you have an opportunity there to be light and you have an opportunity to uh, to smile uh, and I know that sometimes I'm smiling uh, across um, gritted teeth. That's just that's just a confession of the truth of of the way some days roll. And so let me encourage you today to go ahead and be a a positive public witness of the gospel, even when you are with maybe especially when you are with people who are operating out of a different approach, uh, who see things differently than you do in order that you you might preserve the opportunity to have a conversation with them in the future. Because I will just readily admit that every conversation, although every conversation is an opportunity for you and I to bear positive public witness, every conversation is not actually uh, designed for you and I to sort of spill forth the the gospel in um, in what I would call like propositional terms. Every conversation is an opportunity to bear witness. Not every conversation is an opportunity for sort of the laying out propositionally what the gospel has to say uh, about today. So let me just just remind us all of that as we enter into the discourse of the day. Our neighbors are actually interested in what we think. Our neighbors who are not Christians are actually interested in having conversations with us. They are spiritually interested people. The challenge is we do not often enter into those conversations in ways that they can hear us. And so uh, that's that's a challenge that we face every single day. All right. Three years ago, I had a very provocative conversation with Robbie Jones about his book, The End of White Christian America. And so let me just go ahead and say, if you're white and you're Christian, man, this is a conversation that you don't want to miss because everything that Robbie wrote in 2016 um, is, well, It holds true today. And I think that if we actually want to see ourselves and we want to see the world as it is, not as we wish it might be, um, then we have to sort of take into account what is happening in our nation. And so PRRI, which is the Public Religion Research Institute, of which Dr. Robbie Jones is the CEO, uh, every year they do the American Values Survey. The 2019 American Values Survey is, is now available Um, And so Robbie is here to talk with us both about this latest American Values Survey, but also 
the confirmation of the end of white Christian America. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Robert P. Jones. The P is important if you want to find him out there in, in the world of Joneses. You can always find him at PRRI.org. He's the founding CEO of Public Religion Research Institute based in Washington, D.C. He's the author of The End of White Christian America. Uh, he's got all kinds of credentials, including a Ph.D. in religion from Emory University and an MDiv from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. You can find him on Twitter at Robert P. Jones. Robbie, welcome back. Thanks, Carmen. Glad to be here. All right. It's just a delight to talk to you again. Uh, Back in in 2016, when we talked about uh, the end of white Christian America, when it was first published, um, you know, my feedback from listeners was, you know, frankly, not all positive. It was not information (laughs) that everybody wanted to hear. It was not it was not a look at uh, at current reality nor future prospects that people necessarily like. So I'm just going to I'm just going to say in advance um, that you and I are probably talking right now to a majority white audience, and we are certainly talking to a majority Christian audience. And so, yep. um, and so when we think about that and we think about the, what you guys have learned in the new 2019 PRRI American Values Survey, let's speak to that group of people directly and tell them what you know about them. Yeah. Well, I guess the first thing I should say is that, you know, the title of the book, The End of White Christian America, um, I want to make sure it's not understood. Um, you know, what I meant by white Christian America was um, really, uh, I meant it as a metaphor for the dominance that white, really white Protestant Christians have had in the country and through all of its life. And only recently um, have uh, that group um, moved to a demographic uh, minority, and also have really moved from holding, having a lockhold on political and cultural power in the country. So I was really trying to describe that shift that I think, you know, many many people are feeling, but didn't quite know like where's it coming from, what's behind it, and and a big part of it is demographic. So you know, um, yeah, I certainly didn't mean the end of all white Christians. Um, uh, you and I talking would be two counterexamples of that. Um, I mean, <laughs> I am white, I am Christian, um, and it's a, but it's a story that I think. Um, People need to understand to really understand some of the things they sense in their lives, but didn't really know is this just where I am, or is this kind of uh, writ large? And and so I'll just give you a couple of the numbers. Um, you know what I was looking at in in 2016 when the book came out, I was actually using 2014 data because of the lag time between publication and finishing research. And there I was tracking a shift in the country um, for just a, a very short time period. That in that in 2008 when Barack Obama uh, was first running for president. The country was very comfortably majority white and Christian. It was 54% uh, white and Christian. By the time we get to the 2016 um, Clinton-Trump election, um, that number had dropped uh, down to 42%. But in the book, I was only I was only um, tracking um, 50 uh, 54% to 47% drop. And even between the time the book came out, um, or between the 2014 data and when the book came out, the the numbers had slipped, and they've slipped actually again. The number now. Uh, is down to 41% uh, of the country. It's been about a 1.3 percentage point drop 
um, every year over the last decade of, of white Christians as a percentage of the population. That's at the real heart of what I was trying to describe um, uh, in the book is this demographic reality that we that we're seeing um, in the country. All right. And that is really helpful. So thank you for reminding us, because um, I do think that the title of the book is provocative, necessarily so. Yeah. I think it's appropriately right. provocative. Um, and and people know that this is happening. Like it, this is uh, there's one hundred and nine counties that were, you know, majority white in 20 uh, yep. what in 2010. And now they are uh, they are non white majority. Like, right. People know this is happening. We've all read in just the last few days, you know, the 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 Pew research related to, you know, we now only have 65 percent of uh, of America who um, who identify publicly as Christians. I mean, so mm-hmm. when we talk about these decreasing percentages um, or increasing percentages, like, right, you could you could flip all of that and you could say there's an increasing percentage of the American population that's non-white and there's an increasing percentage of the American population um, that is also non-Christian. And so, um, you know, where where the numbers grow, um, there are trend lines and you have now uh, laid out for us in this latest American Values survey by PRRI um, that those trends and and those self-identifying markers, they have political ramifications. Talk about that. Yeah, that's right. Um, You know, so one of the, uh, I think, challenging things, I think, for just us as a country is that um, we have really, and it's accelerated the last 10 years, we have sorted ourselves along lines of political party um, and race and religion. And so all of those vectors, um, really, it's been a three-decade-long process that's been accelerated in the last decade, have now put us in the place where our two political parties are also different expressions of religion and race. So I'll just give you a, an example. So, um, you know, I said that the, the country is now, you know, 41% white and Christian, but the two political parties, um, they're not spread evenly. Um, so the Republican Party, for example, today is about 7 in 10 white and Christian. And, and that's that's all white Christians, by the way. It's evangelical, it's mainline, it's Catholic, it's non-denominational. You put them all together, the Republican Party is 7 in 10 white and Christian, but the Democratic Party is only 3 in 10 white and Christian. Now, that, that doesn't mean the Democratic Party is devoid of Christians. It's just that a lot of those are African-American Christians and Latino Christians compared to the Republican Party. But it does mean that we're having, um, you know, and this gap is getting bigger over the last 10 years. So 10 years ago, the Democratic Party was half white and Christian, and the Republican Party was eight and 10 white and Christian. So it was only a 30-point gap um, in in terms of uh, measuring the difference between white Christian composition. Uh, Today, that gap has gone to 40 points between the two political parties. And I think that's a real challenge uh, for how the two political parties see all kinds of issues um, in the country, uh, because it's not just a kind of racial lens. uh, It's a religious lens and a partisanship lens, and all those kind of click into place together, um, and it pushes the two political parties further and further apart. I am talking with uh, Dr. Robbie Jones, CEO of the Public Religion Research Institute. We are talking about the latest American Values Survey. You can find it at PRRI dot, help me out, O-R-G? Org. Yeah, yes, okay. uh, PRRI dot O-R-G, and we'll be right back. Oh. 
Continuing my conversation with uh, Dr. Robert Jones. There's a P in the middle of that. If you want to find him anywhere, you got to do Robert P. Jones. Uh, he's at PRRI.org if you want to check out uh, what they are working on at the Public Religion Research Institute. You can actually find coverage of the 2019 American Values Survey in lots of media outlets. I read one in The Atlantic with a very provocative head- headline. Their headline read, Nothing Will Persuade White Evangelicals to Support Impeachment. Um, so we're talking with Robbie about what the research reveals. Let's talk about some of the things that maybe, um, you know, I don't even know. Does research even ever surprise you anymore? And if so, is there anything in this that surprised you this year? Well, you know, I, I think one challenge, I think, is that we do see the gap just getting bigger and bigger. It's getting bigger between partisans. The other thing, I think, in particular for your listeners, um, that I think is a real challenge is the gap between white evangelical Protestants um, and really most of the rest of the religious landscape, and in particular African-American Protestants. So basically the, kind of the, the gap between black and white Christians on a whole range of issues has gotten bigger um, over time. And I, I think that issue is one that doesn't get a lot of play, it doesn't get a lot of conversation, but it is a, going to be for the church, I think, a very, very important challenge. Within the Catholic Church, you see a kind of white Latino break that's very similar um, big increasing gaps between white and Latino Christians in the Catholic Church, and I, I don't think Christians have really figured out how to talk about that racial uh, uh, divide. And just you, know, you mentioned the impeachment number, just to kind of that's just one, but I'll, I'll you know give it to you that you know we have among white evangelicals, 82 percent um, oppose uh, impeaching uh, uh, Donald Trump, and that number uh, is only 15 percent among African American Christians. Uh, in fact, about eight in ten African American Christians um, favor impeaching President Trump. And it's not just Trump. I mean, that's one example, but it's a whole range of issues, particularly anything that has to do with um, issues of crime, issues of police, um, criminal justice system. Um, and I think that's a real, that's a, it's a huge challenge going forward. Well, and I, it, it simply illuminates and points, uh, points back to I mean, what you and I have been talking about now for three years, and you've obviously been thinking about for a lot longer than that, when you lose your majority status, um, would you have been in a position of controlling not just not just the means of production, but the decision making at pretty much every level about everything? And you begin to lose that because the demographics of of the place mm-hmm. where you are living are changing. That sense of loss of control, you think, can be answered politically and you feel like it must be someone else's fault. And so I, I, I have this sense that the growing acrimony um, that is that certainly fueled by by some people, you know, putting us putting a stick in the beehive and stirring it up. I mean, like they recognize these issues and they provoke them um, further. Um, I, I think that if we if we can take what you have told us it's research-based, and we can begin to see ourselves, maybe we will become less defensive, and we will take a deep breath and pause long enough to actually hear someone else out. Because it does seem to me there's a willingness of people to talk across these differences. The challenge is we're not talking across the differences because mm-hmm. we're so defensive. I think that's right. There's also very, very few places where people can do this. You know, our churches are still heavily segregated, for example. You know, if we had integrated mm. churches, these conversations would be happening. But but the, the best data we have says that, you know, even if you set the bar only at like a 20 percent 
uh, having kind of whatever the minority group is, having it be at least 20% of the congregation, uh, we still have uh, only about 15% of American churches meet that definition. So in other words, about 85% of America's churches are essentially monoracial churches. And um, the church would be a place where these things could ha- these conversations could happen. I mean, they're difficult conversations, and it takes getting to know people um, in order to have a real conversation about matters like this. Um, and I think that's one of the real real challenges. So I think building some institutional space where these conversations could happen in the spirit of love and trust um, and open communication is an exceedingly rare uh, thing in the country today. All right. What I hear you advocating is sort of the intentional development of a third place. So the church used to function, at least in some communities, as a third place, first place being the home, second place being the workplace. Um, And the third place, at least in some communities, was the church. I mean, for other people, it was like the, um, you know, the 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 barber, like the barbershop is a good third place conversation. Starbucks, I think, tries to be a third place uh, conversation point. Uh, maybe we just need the intentional development of a third place. You know, I think that's right. The The challenge is this, that, you know, the, the church has never been good at doing this across racial lines. Um, mm. I think it has it has done it within racial communities. You know, the, the black church has served, obviously, as a very um, important center in the civil rights movement and uh, incubating lots of ideas and leadership skills and all of that. The white church has served that for the white community we have we have no good examples in all of American history, really. Are are there very very few? There are always the exceptions to the rule, where there, those third spaces have been developed. So there's no blueprint for this. And in fact, most of the energy, um, you know, are the historical examples we have um, actually cut against this. So it's going to have to be something genuinely new, um, uh, created, um, you know, at least in in the United States. Okay. See, I like that. I I like the provocation of something genuinely new that's a big idea that might actually um, help us move forward, you know, as a people. So uh, I'm going to take that as uh, as as wonderful, positive provocation from this year's American Values Survey from PRRI. Uh, Robbie Jones, thank you so much, as always, for joining us and for what you do for illuminating our sense of ourselves and our neighbors. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right. You guys can find all of the research at PRRI.org. You can find Robbie on Twitter. He's Robbie Robert P. Jones. I'll be right back. Okay. So Bob Merritt is a pastor. He's also an author. And he wants to help us be done with that. That's the title of his newest book, Done With That, Escape the Struggle of Your Old Life. And I um, I found this book particularly convicting um, because at some point you just have to be done with it. When you know what your, you know, personal preferred repetitive sin is, at some point you have to be done with it and you have to allow God to help you be done with it. And so if you need a formula, if you need a strategy, if you need uh, a partner to walk alongside you, if you need a companion for the done with that journey to escape the struggle of your old life, Bob Merritt and uh, the conversation that's coming up next is just for you. Oh, and also a dog named Blue.
Recently, I asked parents on my Facebook page to answer a tough question. If you could do it all over again, what would you do differently? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. To be honest, I was half expecting people to just quote some of my better-known parenting tips. But the moms and dads who responded ended up giving some really good, thoughtful answers. Things like, I'd worry less, I'd spend more time together as a family, and I'd give more hugs and kisses, even if they made a fuss. They all sound like such little things, don't they? But hindsight is always 2020. So save yourself some heartache and don't look back with any regret. Because to your son or daughter, the little things are what really count. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Find books and other resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. That's parentingtodaysteens.org. Welcome back. I'm thrilled to be joined today by Bob Merritt. He is a pastor. Many of you in the Twin Cities area will certainly uh, recognize his name and have benefited from his ministry at Eagle Brook uh, Church in the Twin Cities, one of the 10 largest churches in America. Um, Bob, I don't know uh, exactly, you know, even how to imagine these numbers, 24,000 people attending worship uh, and 14,000 participating online each weekend. Um, that's Those are pretty extraordinary numbers. And so thank you so much for joining us here today on Mornings with Carmen to talk about your newest book, Done With That. Yeah, thanks, Carmen. And by the way, those numbers, you know, they scare me too. Uh, and it's always been just about each person who matters to God matters to us. And it's really not about being big, never has been, but I appreciate I appreciate you understanding that and mentioning the fact that, you know, we're in this together. So I um I imagine there's only ever one person listening. <laughs> that's you know, that's that's exactly what I do. It's like, you know, if I can just focus on that one person who I had an email with this week or whatever and or actually preach to myself first, um, then I'm okay. That's exactly right. So um, so let's have a conversation about your newest book, Done With That, Escape the Struggle of Your Old Life. One of my uh, favorite passages of Scripture is this passage from Second Corinthians 5, which, you know, you're illuminating here, this, this idea that the old life is gone. If indeed I am in Christ, then the old life is supposed to be gone. But, you know, as you articulate here and as we all experience, the old self is hard to kill. It seems very unwilling to die, um, particularly at some particular points of, of pain. And so uh, talk about why you chose to write about this. I mean, you could have written about anything at this stage of the game. Why write about this? Uh, out of my own frustration and uh, confusion over that verse, my own struggle with sin, Carmen, uh, if I'm honest with myself, I think if all of us are honest with ourselves, we struggle with things in this life. Uh, the sinful human nature, even though I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, I'm a pastor, that that sinful human nature, Romans says, is still there, and it's at war with God's Spirit who is within me. So I still struggle with sin, and so this verse, the old life is gone, uh, has been very confusing to me all life long. I feel guilt over my sin. If the old life is gone, what's wrong with me? How come I still sin? You know, my dad was a pastor, so I was in church all my life, and I would hear this this teaching that, you know, if you're a believer, everything changes. Well, 
everything doesn't change like that. I mean, I so I, I would just feel a lot of guilt and confusion. What does this verse mean that if I'm in Christ, I'm a new creation, the old life is gone, the new has come? What's gone? And then what is this new life that the Bible promises, that God promises that I can experience? I want more of that and less of the other. So it's really out of my own struggle with sin, to be honest with you. I think, Bob, that um, there are there are ways in which being in Christ has been misinterpreted or or narrowly interpreted, um, and I am hidden in Christ, but but I don't lose my sense of self when I am in Christ. Um, I instead gain more and more of who He is, and so I think that that part of what we have been confused by over time, and you illuminate in the book, is there are things that are gone. If I am in Christ, there are things that are gone. They are a part of of the old dead reality, and they are gone. Give us give us those because I think that's helpful as we then move into the conversation of how um, you know how we're going to be done with those things that seem to cling. Yeah. So three things, real quick. You know, what's gone? First of all, being separated from God is gone. Ephesians two talks about we are no longer separated from God, but we have a relationship with God through our faith in Christ. So, you know, once we put our faith in him, we are part of God's family. We're no longer separated. We're no longer alienated. We have a relationship. We are part of God's family. So that's that's gone, being separated from God, the penalty for sin. Um, you know, I, the eternal penalty for my sin and your listener's sin, if we're in Christ, has been taken care of by by Jesus' work on the cross. He paid for the penalty of all of our sin if our faith is in Him. So we don't face an eternal penalty. It, it's been it's been covered and paid for in Christ. We still suffer when we sin on this earth, but the penalty the the eternal penalty is gone. And then bondage to sin. Uh, the Bible says we don't have to be, you know, we still sin, but we don't have to be controlled by it. We don't have to be in bondage to it. And so many people, I think, Carmen, are in, are in bondage to something. Uh, it, you know, it could be a number of things, but the Bible says we don't have to be controlled by, dominated by, in bondage to sin. We all still will sin at times, but it doesn't have to control us. So those are the three things I would just mention uh, that, that truly are gone. So again, I am talking with Bob Merritt. Uh, he is the he is a pastor. He's also the author of a brand new book, Done With That, Escape the Struggle of Your Old Life. Let me tell you that as I was reading it, um, I had the sense that <clears throat> you are reading my mail. You are in my house. You have overheard my conversations with my kids. Um, uh, yeah. And on uh, I got to tell you, on on page 64, I didn't like you very much when you ask what are. What are the facts? What are the facts? Let's get let's get square with reality here. What are the facts regarding your diet, health, schedule, and faith? Are they healthy and growing or sick and dying? So uh, if you guys want a really tangible, hands-on, um, pastoral, but just absolutely straightforward, honest book uh, about living the new life in Christ and actually being done with the things that are supposed to be uh, dead to us, uh, this is an excellent this is an excellent book, actually, to walk as a companion. Uh, it, it's a it's a companion to a, a time of uh, of Bible study and a and a consideration of the self. As I I want to be cooperating day by day, moment by moment, 
with the Holy Spirit who's actively working within me to bring me into, ga- into greater conformity with who Christ is. But I got to tell you, there is just a bunch of stuff I am carrying along with me. Bob Merritt's book, A Done With That, is an excellent resource. He and I will be right back to talk more about it. All right, uh, picking up where we left off in our conversation with Pastor Bob Merritt about his book, Done With That. Um, Bob, let's jump in on this one, because I think that I think that there are there's a confusion between, you know, sin that clings and bad habits. So, you know, what's the difference between just sins that I just cannot seem to walk away from and and that which is just habitual? Yeah. So, you know, I I have a habit of of eating a chocolate brownie with ice cream every single night. And it's it's just a part of my I I just have to have it. But it's kind of a habit. Now, is that a sin? Um, I suppose if I suppose if I overindulged, it would be. It could become a sinful habit. But I don't think enjoying, you know, a brownie and ice cream every night, or enjoying some television every night, or whatever. I don't think that's necessarily sinful. So, you know, we we all have habits, good and bad habits. Some are helpful. Some aren't so helpful. Where where a habit becomes sinful is, for example, if if you know, I do enjoy watching television, but then I begin watching it for seven hours on into 2 a.m. And I start watching things that actually erode my soul. That can become a sinful pattern that begins to hurt me and hurt those around me. So the way I differentiate between habits and sin, sin is always hurtful to relationships. My relationship myself, my relationship with God, my relationship with others. So sin is always damaging where a habit is not necessarily so. And I, I think that's that's the biggest difference. Talk about this um, this need to be really honest. Um, we, we don't have uh, a very intimate relationship with reality and truth in our culture today. But Christians, if we're going to be people of integrity, um, then the relationship we have is a relationship with the one who is the truth. So talk about integrity and talk about our uh, the relationship of this conversation about being done with it and our public witness. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of things you mentioned there. Just, uh, you know, the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. So I'm, I'm really good at deceiving myself. Um, I talk about, you know, what are your signature sins or what is your signature sin? And my, I, you know, I've struggled with different kinds of sin, but I have a signature sin, uh, Carmen, and that's verbal misconduct. I mean, the very thing that God has used in my life to really uh, have an impact has also been something that I've really struggled with controlling, saying hurtful things, uh, things that are inappropriate at times. That is my signature sin. But for the longest time, for most of my life, I was unaware of that. I was deceived. I, I just, I didn't see it. People would get hurt. My wife would comment on it. My kids would kind of you know, head to the corners of the house sometimes when I wasn't in a good mood and my mouth was out of control. It took a full year of counseling, uh, digging around in my life to really make me aware. The church board actually forced me. They said, you either get control of this or you're done. This was 15 years ago. And that was uh, that was the beginning of my self-awareness of how how deep and destructive my verbal misconduct was. And I just think 
a lot of people are unaware, Carmen, of of the patterns, the blind spots that we have, the the signature sins that are a part of our lives that everybody else can see, but but we that we as people don't see them as well because we're self deceived. So getting really honest is a part of this process. Um, you have now just alluded to a couple of other um, gifts that God gives us to help us in this process, and one of those is the church, and another is you know, counseling, somebody who might come alongside us and walk with us. Talk about how this is is in some ways like each individual Christian's, you know, private journey, but that it's also a journey that's really best done in community with others. Yeah, like I said, it, it took the church board in their wisdom to confront me, and they, they were all godly people who cared about me. But they also said, look, this is so destructive uh, to you and our church and to people around you, your staff, that that this is this is severe. This is project status. We are going to ask you to take a full year, a deep dive. And so it really was the body of Christ. There were a couple people on our board that I that I thank I will thank eternally for their courage to confront me. And to because they love me and they loved our church to really say, look, Bob, this is a problem. If you don't get a hold of this, you're done. Uh, it took that kind of courage and confrontation from the body of Christ, from you know my small group, the church board, if you will, uh, to really lean in on that for me. Um, and that was the beginning. So it, it is the body of Christ. I, I, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't. I would not have over. Well, I still struggle with it, but I would not have begun to overcome this problem in my life had it not been for the love and courage and honesty of other believers, you know, helping me through. So we're talking uh, with Bob Merritt about his new book, Done With That, Escape the Struggle of Your Old Life. Um, Bob, there's only a couple of, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to generously call them pictures. There's only a couple of graphics in your book. Um, mm-hmm. So People should know that. And I love the one on page 101. I hope you have a book in front of you. If you don't, it's the picture of uh, in the One Track Mind chapter on the stream and purifying the stream. Talk about the stream. You know, every day you and I, everybody uh, gets up and we walk into the day. We drive to work. We drive to school, whatever it is. Um, we are bombarded, turn on the radio on the car or CD or an iPod or whatever, whatever it might be, and we are bombarded with messages all day long. It's just a part of our life. You know, my phone we're using today is a, is a, is a constant messaging tool. Uh, it's an entertainment tool, <laughs> all kinds of things. So every single day I am met with messages that come from all over the place, whether it's my phone, movies, TV, podcasts, billboards, books, websites, you know, music. Uh, my Bible, hopefully, is a part of that. Facebook can be a part of that all all day long. And the mind is where all of our thoughts and behaviors begin. So whatever's flowing into my mind will actually push me one way or the other. It affects my it affects my spirit. It affects my being. And all these messages run at me. I can't block them necessarily. I can try to control some of those messages, limit some of them. But what I have found is that I have got to purify that stream of messaging that's coming into my mind every single day by by worship music, by uh, a scripture verse or a passage in the Bible or a chapter out of a good book like we have uh, today in front of us. I've got to do that every single day because every single day 
I'm having counter messages from all sorts of often negative and degrading things that I can hear on the radio just on the way to work. And I've got to purify that stream of thought every single day, which affects my spirit, which affects my behavior all day long. All right, I'm going to invite you to connect uh, with uh, with Bob Merritt at Eagle Brook Church. You can do so at EagleBrookChurch.com. They're also on Facebook and Instagram, and you know, all of the uh, all of the places. The real heart of the book is in part three. Uh, this new life is less and more. Here, here are the steps: less rebellion, more obedience; fewer possessions, more people; less selfishness, more sacrifice; less obsession, more devotion. Um, Bob, as we conclude this conversation today, I know we just really want to give people a taste and see of what's in the book, done with that. Um, I really felt like that the the questions that um, that are there for reflection and conversation at the end of each chapter are particularly good. Um, and I'm wondering if you had a partner who helped you with those. Sometimes we write and then others help us craft the questions, um, because that is really particularly good in this book. Oh, thanks for saying that. Yeah, I've got we've got a team of people who do this every week for our sermons, our messages that we do on the weekend and prepare them for our congregation. So I just leaned into our team and said, hey, you know, take each chapter. Would you put together some some questions? And then a few of us looked at them and signed off. And so, yeah, I, I had some help with that. And they're they're excellent people to to formulate far better than I am. So, yeah, thanks to thanks to my team. Yeah, absolutely. All right. None of us do any of this alone. Um, thank you so much, Bob Merritt, for what you do each and every day at uh, at Eagle Brook Church and and this offering of this book to all of us, done with that. Escape the struggle of your own life. Thank you so much. Carmen, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Absolutely. We'll be right back. Okay, so one more headline before we uh, take off for the day. It's October, and actually, like, Halloween is a week away. And so um, a conversation about... Spiritual things. Uh, we had a conversation with Michael Heiser, author of The Unseen Realm. He talked with us about the gospel uh, that you can actually find in even places like Stranger Things. Um, so, in the next few weeks, couple of weeks, certainly, there is going to be an increased emphasis on all things dark and mysterious, right? And so, the word haunt and the word haunting, concept of ghosts, conversations about. Uh, the unseen realm, there's going to be more and more of those conversations. You and I as Christians can enter into those conversations in ways that honor God and acknowledge that there is indeed an unseen realm. There is indeed an eternal reality. There are things happening in the universe that are not on the human or even uh, temporal level, material level. And so I want I want us to be mindful of that. And uh, and I was provoked to ask this question by a headline actually about something that someone says haunts them. Now I can understand why this haunts this particular individual. There's a former Nazi concentration camp guard. He's now 93 years old, and yesterday he told a court um, that the killings had haunted him his entire life. He's accused of being an accessory to more than 15 or 5,200 murders. Um, And he talks about his regret in all of that. He also talks about being haunted by the misery and horror of it all. Um, And so let's be mindful that we have a ministry to people who are haunted by the sins of the past and that you and I can speak truth and liberation in Jesus into their lives, even if they're 93 years old. 
So let's go out there and be light and leaven in the world that God so loves. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.